All right. So before we get into the podcast, I just want to drop on two quick ads and pay the bills. My name is Chio Dogu. I run a digital marketing agency based right here in the GTA. We do everything from helping clients launch podcasts, getting entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and speakers booked on podcasts as celebrity guests, creating lead generation campaigns for local businesses using Facebook ads, Instagram ads, LinkedIn ads, and YouTube ads. We also create landing pages and online funnels to help local businesses, entrepreneurs, and big businesses turn clicks into customers. If you're struggling to generate leads and grow your business, hit me up at info at odogwu.com or you can get on my website at www.odogwu.com. That's www.odogwu.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me know what you're thinking. And with that said, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of the GTA Business Titans podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Huggins. Jennifer is the founder of the Kingsway Boxing Club, and she's the founder and executive director of the Fight to End Cancer. She's an Olympic boxing referee with the AIBA International Boxing Association. She's a Canadian national boxing coach. She's trained boxers up until the Olympic level. She's also um, refereed at the Olympic level in the Rio Olympics. She's her, she's come here today to tell us a little bit about herself, her business experience, and her story of starting her boxing gym as well as her charity, which is the Fight to End Cancer. In addition to everything that Jennifer does, she also doubles as a magician's assistant, where she travels around the world with a professional magician and sometimes gets sword in half. So I'm pleased to have her on the show today to tell us a little bit more about her experience, her business her life and to share her story and her words of wisdom for all you guys listening out there in the GTA that want to build a better business. So with that said, Jennifer, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's always interesting to hear my uh, my intro. <laughs> Sounds kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Jen, thanks for coming on to do the show, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. So let's let's get right on into it. You know, I read a bunch of research about you and, you know, one thing that stuck out to me was that, you know, this box, boxing was not an intentional um, career for you. It kind of was something you stumbled into. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your early years as a child growing up in the region. You know, you were focused on going into professional skating. Talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so, I mean, for I think we all have a plan and life is about adaptation. Um mm-hmm. And that's been really the ongoing lesson in life for me because when I was young, I was put into, I guess the age of four, I was put into figure skating and my nature was competitive. So I kept on forging forward in the sport of figure skating. Uh, by age five, I was already competing at the you know club level. And then I kept on pushing, kept on pushing. My brother was actually my figure skating partner at the time. And we kept on going until the point of I worked my way at by... 14 years old, I was at the senior level, uh, which would be in the national stream for figure skating and trying to represent Canada at the uh, Olympics. And I didn't necessarily get that far because I actually ended up injuring myself in the sport. Mm -hmm. So uh, my entire goal was, you know, I I only really knew it was put in front of me, but from age four to about 14, I was 100% focused on basically reaching the highest level that I knew, which was uh, the Olympic level for figure Mm -hmm. skating. Uh, and then, like you said, you got injured. So tell us a little bit more about that day you you got that injury that changed um, the trajectory of your career. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to say it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's kind of strange to say that uh, I guess what happened was I broke my C, or I fractured my C3. And that was, I mean, a strange thing to say. That's my probably pivoting point in life. That, and that's the neck bone, <laughs> correct? The, um, yes. Okay. Uh, C3 is in the neck. So I, I fractured my C3. Uh, it was, uh, yeah. And I, I actually learned a really tough lesson from that because I was listening to a coach who was a very high level coach. And there's a lot of pressure when you're at the national level level at any sport mm-hmm. or in any domain really. And I was put in line to, you know, basically represent my country, represent my, my club. And also there was a lot of money behind me from my parents and from other people investing in me. So I, uh, I basically, I fell and I was working with my brother at the time I'd fallen on my head and, uh, my feet were tingling, my hands were tingling. So I let my coach know this and 
he, I guess, really thought that maybe I, I was never a complainer, but he thought that maybe I was embellishing. The stress was getting to me. And he said, you know, you know, I don't want to coach someone who's weak or, you know, along those lines. And if you're going to represent us, if you're going to be part of our team, you've got to push through this kind of thing. So I pushed through it. And the next thing I knew, I was lying in a hospital bed and I was uh, in about, I would say, couple months of recovery in hospital and a year of recovery in, um, in physiotherapy for a neck injury, which ultimately definitely changed the direction of my life. But it also, it changed the entire uh, concept I had of life in, in general. Mm. So prior to that, what was the concept you had of life before, before the accident? Before the accident, I was, you know, again, you only know what's put in front of you. And mm-hmm. at that age, I only knew figure skating. I only knew that, you know, my entire life revolved around this one goal. And I also knew that that goal was heavily invested on by people around me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to disappoint people. So the tunnel vision I had was, you know, get to the Olympics, win the Olympic gold. It was at the time that Tara Lipinski was quite uh, popular and Michelle Kwan so, you know, I had these great idols to look up to and I really wanted to be, I wanted to be able to accomplish what they were accomplishing. And that's all I knew. So you take something from somebody that's the only thing they knew. And what is your, what is their identity at that point? So mm-hmm. I didn't have an identity by 14 and a half. I'm in hospital. I didn't know what to do with myself. Uh, and it really, again, I mean, that's a whole story in itself, but that's yeah. where I was left off. I had no identity at that time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, how did you... Um, get identity and self-awareness to figure out that, you know what, there's more to life than just being single-mindedly focused on achieving that Olympic dream. <laughs> so that, that's where, uh, when I hear you, uh, I actually, I will correct one of the introductions said that I was a Olympic referee. I am Olympic level, okay. but I didn't, I didn't, I worked towards the Rio Olympics. So I did the test okay. Olympics in Rio, but I wasn't part of the actual okay. Olympics in Rio this time. Okay. However, um, yeah. So I, I guess, interestingly enough, after you lose your identity or lose the identity that you think was yours, mm-hmm. uh, you get put on this path of self-discovery and that path took me down every road mm-hmm. that you could ever think of. Um, I definitely faced a lot of adversity myself that I was maybe brought upon myself um, mainly because I just, all these options were never available to me when I was a figure skating, just, you know, one single minded person. So I tried everything and I went from doing one thing to doing literally everything that come across my path. Um, and I still continue to do everything that crosses my path, which is another balancing act that I'm still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. So I went from having no identity identity to trying to figure out every identity that I could place upon myself, um, which included working three jobs, uh, going to university, um, skipping out on school, uh, skipping out on, you know, different things. And I ended up finding my way during all of this into two major things that have changed my life and shaped my life. Uh, one was boxing at mm-hmm. the age of 15. I walked in to a boxing gym, uh, with the in- intention of just kind of, I was bored of rehab. <laughs> so yeah. I was still re- rehabbing my neck. So bored of rehab and, uh, also just bored of life. And I just wanted to, you know, be exhilarated the same way that, you know, when you take competition away from a competitive person, they, they fill the void with everything and anything they can. So Mm -hmm. I needed competition. So I found my way into a boxing gym where I was totally not aware of not belonging because I never felt like I belonged in the first place, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) in everything that I did. So I found myself in a place where I didn't notice I didn't belong, but I also, was challenged in a way that I'd never been challenged before with an outlet that was physical and that's something I was used to. So I ended up uh, becoming extremely competitive in my own uh, domain and basically had to find my own way in a sport that obviously my parents would never have uh, agreed to Yeah. Uh, because I was taking the money. I was still actually considered um, on the national team for figure skating. So I was taking the money that I was using for figure skating and uh, using it for boxing instead. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I found my own way. I was, uh, everyone thought that I was going to get back into the sport of figure skating. And when I recovered and no one really understood, and I didn't even understand how much I hated the sport itself. Yeah. Um, not necessarily that it's a bad sport, but there was just a lot that I didn't love about it. Okay. Um, and it also made me, you know, dislike myself in ways that I didn't understand at the time. So found myself into boxing and then also, uh, took my figure skating and I landed a position when I was about 18 years old, 
working with a magician, a professional magician who we both live in Canada, but we work mostly overseas. Uh, his name is Richard Forget. And I was able to use my skills that I developed as a dancer, as a figure skater on stage with this international magician and still, you know, accessing that performing side of myself. So I had the performing and I had the competition from boxing at the same time. Mm. Now, one thing that strikes me here is that, you know what, from figure skating, you got an injury on your C3 vertebrae, which is a neck injury. And then you transition into boxing and you love boxing. And guess what? The main premise of boxing is to get punched in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can, I can tell you one thing. I was never stronger physically and mentally than when I got into boxing. So okay. though my neck was injured, and you'll know this with anyone who welds or does anything, even when you break a bone, mm-hmm. when you break a bone or when you fracture a bone or when you weld something that was never together, it's actually a stronger bond mm. than before it before it, you know, was two pieces. Yeah. Uh, so basically I, what I found with my neck and I didn't realize this till later on was that I was actually stronger. My body was stronger. My mind was stronger. I was more aware, which again, a big cause of injuries is lack of awareness, self-awareness, mm. physical awareness, um, and mental awareness. Mm. That's, that's very interesting. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people don't understand the relation from figure skating to boxing, but to be honest with you, I wish every athlete would take boxing, mm. um, and actually train as an athlete for boxing, uh, train as a competitor because the strength that gives you in your mind, it definitely, um, I would say challenges any situation you'll ever run into in life. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the beauty of boxing and how it affects um, the rest of your life. Cause I know you're a big proponent of actually not just even the sport, but in sports in general, how, how has that affected your personal development in terms of your business life, your emotional life, your personal relationships and everything else? So, yeah, I guess I can get back to, I mean, I, I ended up opening a gym when I was 22 years old um, by chance, mm-hmm. uh, which was a totally different story. But what happened with that is boxing, what boxing gives you besides being in incredible shape and the best shape that I think that anyone can be in in all regards is it gives you a self-awareness that you absolutely have to have as a boxer, which is a very strange thing that a lot of us are missing. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, since being a boxer, becoming a coach and now becoming a referee and official for boxing, um, during all of that, I had to understand why I, what I was doing was working and why what I was doing was needed and necessary to be able to actually move forward in the sport and propel and excel in the sport itself. Um, this is something that can be contrasted to, you know, you can do something really well, but can you actually teach it? Okay. And, and, you know, a lot of us don't really know what that link is. And a lot of, there's a lot of great athletes out there who will never become great coaches, um, not because they are not the best as at their domain, but because they can't articulate it. Mm-hmm. And being a boxer, you can't only, you know, do very well at the sport for yourself. It's an individual sport, but you're put in front of an opponent and that opponent is there to pick apart every weakness you have. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't understand your weaknesses moving forward in, in the sport of boxing and in, in life in general, you'll never become the best boxer. You'll never become a great boxer. And then if you can't articulate what is the right and what's wrong within your own boxer as a coach. So if you have a boxer you're coaching, then you'll never be able to help that boxer realize for themselves where they're going wrong, what they're doing right and how to move forward. So these are all components of boxing that until I became a coach, until I became an official, I couldn't articulate to you. Hmm. But as a boxer, just as a boxer, you are developing the skills in life that you need to be able to exceed, or sorry, not just exceed, but to be able to, you know, basically survive in life. Hmm. So it kind of opens your eyes and gives you a more, what I call it, a, a 360 view while looking in front because you're able to understand where the person is trying to come from and then what they're trying to pick apart in your own defense in order to, to vanquish you. Exactly. The best they, they, we, so we always say in boxing, the best offense is a good defense. Yeah. So if you understand your openings, then you can open up your other, your opponent with, you know, with understanding yourself and that's all self-awareness. So yeah, hundred percent. 360 view is a really great way of putting it. I've never actually uh, thought of it that way, but it's a, you know, a bird's eye view, 360 view of yourself, mm. which will make you more successful in any regard. Yeah. And talking about that self-awareness, you at one point in time, you were the first and only female three-star boxing ref in North America. And of course, if you look at the referee's ultra history, 
it's it's mostly a male dominated industry. So what was it like when you first ventured into that role to step in as the third the third woman in the arena? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so being the third woman in the ring, which is funny because it's always called the third man in the ring. Yeah. Um again, it was I, I'm my habit is to excel forward without really looking back. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a great there's a great thing that comes from that. It means that you know you're really forward thinking, you're really moving fast and you're really accomplishing a lot. However, I think that any great uh, athlete, any great business person, any, you know, incredible coach will take a look at themselves and become aware of why things are working and how to continue keeping them working. So um, I never really realized how far I'd gotten until it was put on paper. Um, And actually, I was featured in quite a few. um, I guess I gained quite a bit of attention for what I was accomplishing in the sport of boxing as a woman. Um, not necessarily as an, you know, as an athlete, but actually in the position of an official, um, I still am the only in, um, in North America, I'm the only WSB, which is world series boxing referee, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting accomplishment because again, it was pointed out to me that we, I've gotten further. I ever could, I could never have gotten as far as a female in the sport as I has, as I have as an official. Mm. So we don't actually have any men in the world series of boxing. Um, it's only, it, sorry, don't have any men. Sorry. We don't have any women in the world series of boxing. I'm the only woman there, yeah. uh, as an official, uh, in North America. But basically what I have found is that I, there was a little bit of resistance. I'm not going to lie. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, there still is some resistance sometimes, not necessarily from my peers because I've had to earn their respect, respect to get to this level, mm-hmm. but more, um, not necessarily resistance, but more, um, a lack of education. So a lot of the things that I'll get, and I don't, I, again, I do not even, I'm not insulted. I'm never, I'm just happy to educate people. Uh, a lot of questions I'll get when I'm traveling across the border, for example, uh, or I'm going into a new, new country, I have to tell the border crossing, um, you know, guards, where are you going? What are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm a referee. I'm going to be refereeing some boxing in Colombia, for example. Mm-hmm. And the uh, security will usually be like, oh, uh, that's different. And then their second question will be like, oh, female boxing? And <laughs> I'm just kind of – it's funny because I'm like, oh, I mean, I wish there was more female boxing to be needed to referee. Yeah. But, you know, as it stands, uh, and they might change this for the next Olympics, but there's 10 ma- men's weight classes, three women's in the Olympics, and there's only 10 men- men's weight classes in the World Series of Boxing. So I think it's hilarious when that percentage is only 30% really – of the sport that's female at the Olympic level and that I am just assumed that I'm there for women. Um, however, it's, that's a flattering thought because the day that I'm only needed for women means that we've, you know, gotten to the point where there's as many women in boxing as there are men. So that's, it's just educating. I think it's, it's really interesting, the education process that I've gone through over the past few years. Um, and I, it's been just a very, it's been a great journey, I guess. Mm. And so, so, so working in boxing as an official, you know, what has your experience been in terms of um, making the sport more appealing to women to participate in? Because I know you, I, I want to get to you finding your, your gym, but I want to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, how um, the sport has grown over the years to see more women participate in competitive le- levels in boxing. So, I mean, at first, when I first joined into the the sport of boxing and I was, you know, really forging forward, uh, there was a point where I felt like more of a novelty and it felt like the female in the sport of boxing was more of a novelty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's other sports out there like that, but my experience is with, uh, with, is with boxing. Uh, in contrast, actually, a lot of the men in figure skating felt like a novelty in figure skating. Mm-hmm. They were, they were objectified being in figure skating, a lot of dancers, and I watched that for my brother and I watched that for a lot of my male friends who were in figure skating at the time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something I was new to. It was something that I was new to experiencing. And to be honest with you, it actually really helped propel me um, because it gave me that that extra little, hey, you know, you don't belong here or, hey, you know, what is a girl? You're, 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 too, you're too pretty to be boxing, which is like, oh, my gosh, that's the first time in my life I'd ever been called pretty, number one. I was always surrounded by women where they're absolutely gorgeous and, you know, they knew how to do their makeup and I didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I found myself, um, more flattered than anything that, you know, I represented something that wasn't really the norm. Yeah. Um, but then what I also found was that what, especially when I started business, I really needed that. Um, I needed, you know, balance is needed. And when you only have men, you only have men. When you only have women, you only have women yeah. to find that balance is to have women, men, children, 
you know, girls, boys, uh, you know, it really is important to have that balance. So I started feeling this need for balance and by encouraging, um, I actually now have a lot of programs that are geared directly towards, uh, young girls. So teenage girls, mm-hmm. um, but to be able to include these women in my sport that has given me so much and to now work with a lot of camps, female camps, and, you know, really open up people's minds again, educate women and men, uh, about how important the sport is to them. Uh, what I found is a balance overall balance has started to be created. And there's a lot of great women in the sport of boxing, a lot of great men in the sport of boxing. And what they get is an, uh, an educative experience where I've got, uh, sparring now with a lot of, uh, young teens and young, uh, boys and girls. And what they come to me with is an absolute, it's almost like a, Oh my gosh, Jen, it happened yesterday. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, coach Jen, did you see how badass? Sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but, but how, how badass, uh, you know, Brooke was, and Brooke is this little 10 year old or 11 year old girl who's kicking all the butts of these, you know, 14 year old boys who are literally twice her height Wow. and they're scared and they're scared of her. And it's like, you know, it's, it's educating boys that, you know, just the fact that strength is there, you know, technique and tactics are there no matter what size you are, what gender you are. And it's educating the girls that it doesn't matter how big the guy is, you know, you can outsmart them and it doesn't matter how, you know, how old the person is, you can, you know, out tactic them. So it's, it's an incredible experience and incredible journey for the kids too. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about you opening your boxing gym. You now have um, two locations or more. So tell us a little bit about that experience. You know, what, what from participating in the sports to officiating in the sports, what led you to say, hey, let me create a place where people can train in the sport and I can also mentor people and give them life skills that are only accessible through the sport yeah. So, uh, actually if you take it back, I, it went all backwards. I went from, uh, being an athlete in the sport to, uh, I was actually at the time, ever since I, I was, I guess about 17, 18, I've been working as a personal trainer mm-hmm. and because the sport that really, you know, made me feel great was boxing. I used the boxing to train my clients. I became a coach because I was a figure skater. Actually, my parents wanted me to take what I was learning in figure skating. If I wasn't going to compete anymore and become a coach. Mm-hmm. So I, I, while I was in the coaching course, I was like, oh, this is the same starting point that you become a boxing coach as well. And why not, you know, use this, uh, course to become a coach for boxing, which I actually love and can really, you have to buy into something. If you're going to sell it, if you're going to coach it, if you're going to try to get people to buy into it, you have to buy into it yourself. Yeah. So, so I really bought into it and I actually went from being a coach, um, a personal trainer and coach. Uh, I was running around the city, running programs all over Toronto by the age of 18 and into 19, into 20 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a business where it was kind of, you know, Huggins Boxing and just trying to implement boxing into all these different gyms. But I was running around the city um, and every bit of money that I was earning was going back into being able to travel. Okay. So I actually, my only goal when I opened my studio was a, my first studio I opened in the apartment of my, um, actually, take it back a step, my parents locked me out of the house one day when I came to visit them. And I just went for a wander around my old neighborhood. And I, I was like, Oh, this, this area is called the Kingsway in Toronto and the Kingsway area is quite expensive. So I wanted to see if I could ever afford to move back to this area. Cause it's so pretty. Yeah. And luckily it was summer. So I walked up to an apartment and, uh, you know, this wonderful woman who owned a studio, a uh, salon studio, a uh, hair studio, she said, Hey, you know, sure. I've got a place for rent, took me upstairs, showed it to me. And I was like, wow. Okay. You know what? if I turn this into my, you know, I just feel a big visionary. So if I could turn this into a studio, I wouldn't have to run around the, the city anymore. Mm. So I, so I opened up a studio and I, uh, hid the fact that I was living in the studio and I turned the studio in, into two separate training areas that I could rent, uh, one studio to trainers and the other one I would use for building my, my business basically. Okay. But it was with the, it was with the intent of going, I thought in my mind, and again, I didn't know much, but I thought I was going to go pro boxing. I was like, yeah, this is great. And I had this uh, incredible man who has uh, now become my fiance, which is interesting because I haven't really announced it publicly. So, uh, (laughs) Virgil, who, uh, I had met and he was running around, you know, executing all these boxing programs around Toronto with me. So I just decided that in my apartment, why not make it easy? And I hid that I was living there, had these places operating and it turned into what I, we ended up calling Kingsway Boxing Club. And, uh, from there it grew and these, the community grew. And again, the support grew from the community. I didn't expect them to really be interested in boxing. There was a lot of resistance. This is, we're going back 
to 2005 mm-hmm. where it wasn't uh, a million dollar baby had just come out and okay. I was just the only reason I was considered okay was because everyone looked at me and said oh my gosh you're like Hillary Swank you're a million dollar baby <laughs> <laughs> like I get it that's why you're doing this not because you love the sport but because it's really cool which was like the first time I was ever like oh okay I guess it's cool okay. um, I hadn't seen the movie yet so I had to go and watch the movie <laughs> um, which was I mean it was a great Hollywood movie but I was like oh wow actually there's a couple of relations that, you know, that's why people are calling me million dollar baby. I'd broken my neck and I, you know, I'm in boxing and all these things. Luckily yeah. I, I, I'm still alive and I'm still <laughs> here. I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still doing the things that I love doing, but I, it was just, it was a struggle at the beginning in the sense of understanding what I was doing, why I was doing it, because my goal was not to have business. It was to have a, mm. um, it was to have the ability to be able to train myself. And when you start business, what happens? it's not about it's not about you anymore right who's it about it's (laughs) your customers exactly it's about everybody else (laughs) wow so you accidentally started this business and then um tell us a little bit about you know how you got people to start coming to the business and how you started growing the business because we're going to get to um the fight to end cancer but in terms of like building it up you know because here you are accidentally stumble upon a fitness business in boxing and then you know what every business has to have clients consistently coming through the door or else you're not going to be able to pay your bills you're not going to feed you're not going to do anything so talk a little bit about you know how you were able to start convincing people to you know sign up for for programs in your gym yeah uh you know what it's a very strange thing that happened uh i didn't because i didn't plan on having a business i just wanted to be able to pay my rent mm-hmm. um within I would say two months of opening my apartment to being Kingsway boxing. Um, it was absolutely, you know what, let me take it back a very quick step. I'll tell a very, very quick story. Can I, do I have time to tell a small story? Of course, of course. So this comes back to, you never know uh, how someone's going to impact your life and you never know how it's going to impact your future. Um, I used to work at one of my first jobs. I had like 10 at a time was working at a second cup, uh, coffee shop down the road from where I ended up opening my studio where I grew up. And I used to see so many people and I actually run into a lot of people I used to serve coffee to. And there was this one woman who she used to come every day, order a black coffee, a little small black coffee because she's a little small lady. And I never thought anything of her other than I just used to see her every morning of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when I was about 14 years old. Fast forward till I'm 22 years old now. I am taking the subway home from one of my contracts because I didn't just quit my jobs and start my own business. I made sure that I kept a lot of things going because that was what I was used to. And I also didn't want to have the lack of security of just, you know, starting completely fresh. Yeah. So I was taking a subway home and I ran into this little small lady and she had a little small coffee in her hand. And this is, you know, we're going probably close to 10 years later. And I remembered her. I don't know if she really remembered me. Um, but I said to her, Oh my gosh, I remember you from second cup coffee. I used to order your coffee, small black. And she was like, Oh my gosh, that's great. Like I, I barely remember you, but that's awesome. And we caught up and I found out that she used to, or she owns a dance studio right across the street from my new location. Wow. And this dance studio, she wasn't operating very much anymore because she's fighting cancer. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's a really heavy thing. You've got this dance studio. I said, you're not really using it. Within two months of opening my studio, I was actually out of room at my apartment. So, so I asked her, you know, are you interested in renting to me? Because, you know, if you're not able to pay the rent, you know, I'd love to be able to do this. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to help. And I'd also love to be able to maybe expand my business outside of my home. Cause I was, you know, operating a business from your home is a totally different, um, can of worms. Yeah. And I wasn't getting sleepful nights because, you know, trainers would enter at six in the morning without, you know, telling me. And it was just crazy. So she, uh, she opened her doors up to me and I ended up, um, I, that's kind of where the segue goes is I ended up opening a second location within two months of my first location, not because I was, you know, scrounging to try to find new ways to start business, but because I was over capacity at my apartment. Yeah. So, you know, basically one thing led to another and I ended up with two locations, um, and this small dance studio above a car wash, which was quite a good size. I ended up taking that over. And then within six months I was out of room there and I ended up opening a larger location, which ended up being our boxing gym. So at one time we were operating three locations at one time, and this was all within the first year of business. And it was all because my goal was never to be in business. I think I I attribute it to the fact that my goal was never to be in business. My goal was to take care of my boxers, to take care of my clients and to take care of my community. And in turn, 
they took care of me and they took care of the business and they took care of the sport of boxing. And that was, again, which if you want me to segue into the final, you know, probably thing that you were going to ask me about was the giving back to the community. So that was, yeah, that was, that was kind of how everything developed. Awesome. 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 So, giving back to the community, you founded a charity called um, Fight to End Cancer, which is um, in support of the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation, correct? Yes, yes. And so, one of the main things here that I saw that really made me chuckle was that basically it's a sanctioned fight, which is not like some exhibition or they dance around. You actually have to have executives business people or just regular civilians i'll call them civilians because they're not professional boxers they go they train for six months and they come in the gym i mean they come into the ring and they have a actual fight to raise money for for cancer research and treatment talk a little bit about that where did that idea come up and how were you able to sell it to so many people that you're now in your what sixth or seventh year i believe yeah we're in our seventh year uh, yeah. so that that's a funny story um <laughs> <laughs> so when I started the gym, uh, it, there was a lot of pushback uh, with not necessarily the sport of boxing for fitness, but more for com- com- competition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wanted, long story short, I wanted to give back to the community that was giving so much to us. I always feel like there's absolutely no business unless you have the uh, the clients. And I was absolutely inspired by the amount of support that I was getting. And I also actually felt guilty. I felt guilty that we were doing so well. I felt guilty that it was never my intent on making money from the community. And we were starting to do pretty well. I, I operate, even though we're for-profit for Kingsway Boxing, I operate almost as a not-for-profit by investing everything that we get from the clients back into the business and back into the sport of boxing. Um, but fast forward 2011, I'd been in business for about five years. And I, I just had this, you know phenomenal amount of guilt. I had, um, (laughs) and not that maybe that maybe isn't warranted, but at the same time, I just, hello. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. It cut off for a second there. Oh, sorry. Where did, where did you lose me? Um, you had some guilt. Yeah. So I had some guilt and, uh, so we're in 2011 now felt pretty guilty. And I decided that uh, I needed to do something to give back to the community. At the same time, I was working for a, uh, working with a charity out in Ottawa called Fight for the Cure, um, which was the same one. If anyone is listening, that and knows uh, that Justin Trudeau. If anyone knows Justin, Justin Trudeau, a lot of people seem to know him worldwide now. Um, he, before he was a uh, our prime minister, he was also a interesting dude who decided he wanted to step in the ring against Patrick Brazo, who was actually um, at the time a politician as well. So I was working with the guys who founded that event, uh, Fight for the Cure. And that's out in Ottawa. So I had some experience working with a lot of other events and I'd refereed at a lot of events similar to the one that I was planning on doing. Um, and I wanted to find a way to segue all of my lives into one. So I had my life of boxing. I had my life of the community and, and coaching and Kingsway boxing. I had the life of being a performer, international performer with uh, my magician traveling the world. And I also had a life of business I had a large business network that I developed over the years. So I wanted to find a way to use that to give back to the community. At the same time, I had a friend who was nine years fighting cancer, and she was an incredible human being, a family friend, knew her from different capacities, but she taught me a lot about life. Just in the short times that I was able to talk with her and you know, articulate things out to her in my mind, she really put life into perspective for me yeah. and put fighting into perspective for me. Someone who was a fighter my whole life you know, in different ways – she basically, you know, summed up what fighting was in, you know, just a couple of breaths, basically. So, uh, fight to end cancer was born. I wanted to end cancer, help her out, um, give back. Actually, I originally wanted to, you know, raise money so I could help her pay for her medications. And in Canada, we've got great healthcare, but we don't necessarily have the best medication coverage. Okay. So I wanted to give back to her. I wanted to give back to the community and I wanted to find a way of segueing my lives together. And that's how fight to end cancer was born. But, a lot of people weren't interested in boxing. Um, so the first couple of years, but definitely the first year I was begging people to fight. Yeah. So I went up to one of my friends, uh, and ended up begging him a cafe. Uh, he owns cafe Dimitri's, uh, Andre Salgaralis. He, uh, I went up to him one day without any kind of, you know, pre emblem was. And I said, Hey, you know, uh, would you do me a favor? <laughs> and he said, he said, yeah. And I said, oh, okay, great. And he says, well, well actually what's a favor? 
And I said, well, I have nobody who wants to fight on this card. I've got this great idea, but no community support in this specific idea regarding the boxing. Uh, everyone's scared to fight. So I said, I need you to fight. I need you to uh, fight. And he says, oh, that sounds really cool. But then I followed up after he said yes to who he was going to fight. He decided um, to fight before I told him that I needed him to fight Virgil Barrow, who was at the time coaching for 12 years and had lots of experience boxing. He was a fighter. And I uh, was matching him up against Andre, who Andreas, who had zero fights and zero experience uh-huh. fighting, you know, or boxing at all. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it was at that time when I first started almost impossible to find boxers. So we had one corporate fight mm-hmm. and the rest of them were amateur boxers that, uh, of course, I had the network for from being in the world of boxing for so long. Yeah. And then now today I'm looking at the website and it's. You have several people. You have, I see the main match here. Two people are going to fight, and you know, and you, you guys are raised just about eight hundred and forty-one thousand five hundred dollars for this venture. And w- 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 I think what resonates with me, like we were talking earlier, is that basically, you know, cancer is such a disease where whether you're rich or poor, white or black, living North America or Africa, you know, it's something that it's going to affect everybody's life one way or another it's affected my life i have friends whose family members have fought it i have family members who have fought it and you know what it's it's something where as a human race we should all kind of get behind so i want you to talk a little bit about how you are able to get sponsors to support you in this mission you know not just um, raising money for research and the fights, but also in terms of publicity and getting mm-hmm. more people to participate. Because you have yeah. a, your gala comes up next month in 37 days or so, I believe. Oh my gosh, you just put a deadline on it. Oh my gosh, it's, it's really soon. Eh? I hope the fighters are listening to this podcast because uh, 37 days, guys, you have 37 days left. So funny, I we went from begging people to fight to now we have about 100 applicants per year who want to fight in the fight to end cancer. Wow. Um, the sponsors Amazing. who submit fighters um, or potential fighters, uh, they have to have zero experience. To get on the fight team, they cannot have already boxed before, mm. or at least they can't have boxed competitively. Yes. So the sponsors will get priority. So that means that if uh, the sponsor putting forward a couple of people that they have interested in fighting will, of course, pay more attention to trying to book those ones as fighters or the ones, obviously, who have a very big cancer story. So the priority, sometimes it's very tough to say no to people because mm-hmm. uh, we're all fighting for you know one great cause. Yeah. But to narrow it down. So the sponsorship, um, now that we have been in you know line for seven years we've raised we're actually heading towards a million dollars this year is one of is our biggest goal we want to hit one million in 2018 mm-hmm. um and that's donated funds that's not just raising money and you know saying that's what we've that's money that we've actually taken and given to the charity yes um so what it really comes down to what i found the formula it's funny i've asked what's what's the formula how are you making this work because you know nothing's easy business is not easy um fundraising is definitely not easy and uh even loyalty is not easy so you know how do you find those people that you know those sponsors or those people that want to continue being a part of the fight every year you know being a part of your business per se every year and i think that i don't necessarily have the answer but our answer with regards to fight to end cancer has been that you need to make whatever your goal is, whatever your vision is, everybody else's vision. So the fight to end cancer started off as my vision. Yes. It started off as, you know, a small group of us who were willing to execute the event and it's turned into a movement and it's turned into a movement that every fighter, every guest, every person who likes um, a post on Instagram, every sponsor and every person fighting cancer is a part of Mm. and it's something that's so powerful that you know you it's not even just about believing in it it's that it it is what it is you we're all a part of this fight um you know we do get resistance sometimes of saying well i'm already donating to another charity or i'm already you know i'm already supporting you know, uh, uh, hunger, you know, you know, there's people starving to death. Well, this is one, you know, I, I can tell you one thing, if I could solve all the world's problems, I would, because I genuinely believe in giving back and trying to help the community. And I try to do more than just fight down cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing is understanding that you have to choose something and you have to really run with it and you yeah. have to be 100% committed to it, which we all are. And you really have to focus that um, that fight and really take 
again, ownership of the things that you can. So our motto is defeat is not an option. Mm-hmm. And that was a, ha- a heavily uh, contested slogan at the beginning. And I still have to explain it to a lot of people because, you know, at the end of the day, some people lose family members, some people lose their lives. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, not some, a lot of people die yeah. because of cancer. Mm-hmm. And how can you not say that's been defeated? Well, in sport, a lot of athletes, you know, when you watch Canada defeats Germany or, you know, um, you know, Canada defeats or is defeated by England in the Olympics, for example, the the word defeat is used very heavily in sport. And I think that one of my uh, strategies with regards to how we move forward in boxing and in uh, fighting cancer is to redefine what it means to fight and redefine what it means to be competitive and redefine what it means to always have options. And what we've done is, you know, I don't really look at, you know, best example I can give you. And sometimes this will confuse people is at the Olympics, you know, let's say you made it to the Olympic level and you are competing for the, um, final in the finals of the Olympics, for example, (laughs) what happens when you come second? Have you won a beautiful, absolute huge accomplishment? Like, is that, do you feel like, you know, if you came second in the Olympics, have you want to, have you accomplished something massive? Um, yes. Yeah. Do you, do you think that that, do you think that's being defeated to, to win second? No. I don't Absolutely think so. not. Yeah. However, you had to lose a fight to come second in boxing. Yeah. So you literally had to go in, fight and lose that fight in the boxing, in, in a sport like boxing, mm-hmm. you had to lose, it's a bracket sports. So you had to lose that fight to come second. Yeah. So were you defeated? Absolutely not. Did you, you know, did you compete? Did you try to win? Yes. yes. Did you win that fight? No. So we're not going to win every fight in life, but defeat is not an option. And it's a defeat is a state of mind. Mm-hmm. And if you never, you know, it's very easy to feel, feel defeated. We all get there, but we have to remind ourselves that that's not an option. You don't take that option. You mm-hmm. always strive forward. You know, we're all, you know, sorry to put a damper on things, but we're all going to die one day. Yeah. It's what we, it's what we do with our life and how we live it and how we fight back and how we what we find important. So that's where we got, uh, defeat is not an option. So I, I, sorry, I got completely off topic, but, no, no, uh, no, that's perfectly yeah. okay. Cause I brought out one thing. I just wrote it down. Is that basically defeat is a state of mind that uh, unless you're willing to give up, you know, uh, you, that that's when the game is over for you. As long as you're not willing to give up, there's still one more breath in you. You can still press on, especially, you know, if you're fighting something like, like cancer, you know, because a lot of people fight and yes, they lose their lives, but at the same time, a lot of people still fight and they win. The, the main thing is that once you have that, um, what I call it, that mental reinforcement that says, you know what, you're going to keep fighting and winning, fighting to the end, no matter what, that that's, that's what keeps the person staying around a little bit longer, you know? If yeah. You, and we're, we're you, still fighting yeah. forward. We're still fighting. So, I mean, even the ones who've lost loved ones, we're yeah. still fighting for them. Yes. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, like I told you earlier, it resonates with me because I'm from Nigeria. And um, when my cousin was dealing with cancer in a country of 180 million people, we didn't even have chemotherapy machines to, to treat him. So you can imagine a lot mm-hmm. of people in, in country, are not getting cancer treatment. And there's not a lot being done by the government from my point of view because they say, okay, yes, they're raising money, but um, this is the story of corruption. You know, money gets stolen. And, of course, government officials are rich enough to fly themselves abroad for, for treatment whenever they stop their toe or they sneeze wrong. But you yeah. have you have millions of people dying every day where even simple chemo machines or chemo treatments are not available. So it's one thing where... Um, I, I know that this right now your your charity is focused in Canada, but it's something that you know what should it expand across borders to other countries that I'd be definitely willing to support you in that because yeah everywhere across the world you know what people need to get get behind this movement and say you know what let's fight let's let's try and raise money and take care of people that are suffering from this thing because it it doesn't choose who it's going to attack, you know. It could attack anybody at any time. And, you know, once you support the movement, you're sure that at least you're able to keep people around that, you know, may not be around if they don't have the support and the help from you in as much as we have so many problems in the world. Yeah, actually, you know what, it's, it's funny you say that. Uh, one of my biggest visions at this moment is that it goes from being um, a local fundraiser, uh, we're already national. Uh, mm. Officially, we're national. Um, a couple of our sponsors have taken us across Canada. Um, 
However, one of my biggest goals, and because I'm a, a, an ambassador for boxing, I travel the world, I work with a lot of different countries, uh, the word of fight to end cancer, the uh, the support, so people, you know, supporting the cause itself has actually traveled across the world with me. Yeah. Um, nice. The yeah, but one of my biggest, uh, I guess, next steps would be how can we implement the um, structures that we figured out that work here yeah. to be able to raise funds to be able to again. When I hear you say that there's no chemo machines or there's very limited chemo machines in your country, why you know why can't we start something private? Where yes, you know what, if you leave it to certain higher powers, it's a little difficult to understand mm-hmm. when, how, and if that money's ever going to go to the proper domains. However, if you take control where you can, again, defeat is not an option. Yes. Yes. If you rely on one thing, just like me, when I was relying on only thinking of uh, figure skating as my only tunnel vision goal, yeah. when I lost that, I was defeated yeah. at the moment. I felt defeated. And, you know, uh, for someone who's fighting cancer or someone who has mental illness, that last day that they feel like they need to be on earth, for example, they feel defeated. But mm-hmm. what are what are the options? That's basically for me what I always look at. So in your case with Nigeria, if you know you have to wait for higher powers to make decisions that are sometimes going to take too long or maybe never happen, mm-hmm. how do we how do we impose funds uh, that will actually go specifically for the the items that are needed to be able to fight at the local grassroots level where yeah. you know people are needing it and they need it now. So that's something that uh, that's been I've been working very hard with a few of my uh, associates around the world, uh, collaborating with different projects and how we can co- try to implement this structure into different countries. So yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm right on. I'm right on board with that. Nice, nice, nice. I love it. So we've talked a lot about you. We've talked a lot about business. We've talked a lot about the charity. Um, so it's as we're getting close to the top of the hour, I kind of want to transition more towards. A lighter note and talk about you know some of the things and the benefits of being being from the GTA. So tell us a little bit about um, you know what are some of the resources that you've benefited from by locating your business in the GTA. So yeah, being located in the GTA has uh, definitely helped me. I wouldn't have had you know things that I've got that have come easy to me, such as walk by traffic, people seeing the visibility of seeing a sign on the road where you've got. I don't even know what the stats are, but I would guess, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people drive by our signs on a daily basis. I'm going to guess. I, mm. I mean, I don't know. But there's a lot of exposure. There's a lot of street exposure. Uh, the same thing that uh, I would say the Internet has provided for the masses uh, being on a street level provides that tangibility. You know, there's so much on the Internet uh, and there's a lot that comes great out of that. But having a location, being right in the GTA, having that visibility allows you to be, you know, accessible. Awesome, awesome. And personally for you, since you're a hometown girl, what are some of your favorite hotspots, bars, restaurants, um, recreational activities that you participate in or utilize in the GTA that you think would be beneficial for somebody else that may not know the area quite as well as you do, but would also get some significant benefit using those um, facilities? I still use Google a lot because <laughs> as, as local as I am, things in Toronto and the GTA, GTA change so much. Um, and I travel so much that actually a large majority of my years spent, spent outside of Canada. Um, and what I found is that a lot of Torontonians, a lot of people in the GTA who are from the GTA know less about Toronto and the resources than people who are actually either immigrated to the Toronto area mm. or people who are you know just setting up business in the Toronto, Toronto area because you're forced to research. So if I can say one thing is research your area by using Google, you know, type in, I'm in the Etobicoke area, for example, and I know that in the Etobicoke area now, there's a lot of schools. Humber College is one of the schools, Ryerson. Um, we've got a lot of different colleges that are specifically oriented towards business, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of uh, interns who are just waiting for positions. Mm. Um, that's a whole other beast trying to train an intern, but there are resources that, you know, are wouldn't be available to you if you came from a small city yeah. uh, or wouldn't be as available to you if you came from a small town. Uh, so it's something that, you know, you just have the masses of people who are out there waiting to help you. So I would say that's one of the major things. Um, you know, just the fact that we always have new restaurants opening, uh, new things happening, you know, look up what's going on in your city every week and take a jog downtown or, you know, walk out of your area into your own little, you know, into the Etobicoke area, for example, and see what ha- what's happening at the local bars. Because, Really, all of us are just trying to survive. All of us are just trying to make a name for ourselves, including musicians, including including entertainers. So 
you know, there's just so much out there. Our network is so strong. And I would say that Drake has put us on the map. <laughs> so so we're, we're really, there's just a lot happening, more than Drake, but there's a lot happening here. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jen, it's really been a fun conversation and I've loved having you for the past one hour on the show. But um, before I let you go now, tell us a little bit more about where people can reach out to you and um, contact you if they want to learn more about Kingsway Boxing or the fight to end cancer and how they can connect with you personally. So, you know, myself personally, I'm on all the social media streams. Uh, my name is Jennifer Huggins. I have a website, jenniferhuggins.com, if you want to find everything all in one spot. But if you're interested in joining the fight, we can you can join the fight as a participant, as a fighter, as a sponsor, as a volunteer. There's any way you want to join the fight or even just as a supporter. Oh. Uh, again, you can just visit fighttoendcancer.com. Or you can look up Kingsway Boxing and you can come visit me for free for a free lesson. Uh, I invite everybody in. It might not be myself if, it, if there's a lot of people at one time, but one of our coaches, and we don't have a very big team, we always bring everybody in. That's something I, I started when I was younger. Yeah. I always want to have that very first meeting. So we actually use that first meeting as a lesson. So anyone can re- reach out to me for a free lesson through kingswayboxing.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I think the very last question is, um, this is the gratitude segment of the show where, you know, you can talk about some people, institutions, and of course, um, places that you're grateful for, like your sponsors, you know, you can, you you know, here's your opportunity to shout out and say thank you to whoever you want to talk to. Yeah, well, I'd love to shout out to all my sponsors. Uh, unfortunately, there's about, a, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, there's about a hundred of them that I'd love to mention. <laughs> um, specifically, I'd love to say, you know, thank you to Kevin D, who was there before uh, Fight to End Cancer. I was actually in his corner uh, in his fight. Uh, and then he followed over as a sponsor and he's helped me through quite a few tough times. Um, and there's a lot of other families, but Kevin's been the one who's kind of seen a lot of the fight to end cancer related um everything from being a fighter to being a sponsor to being a supporter. Mm. So, you know, if I could, you know, do a shout out, everyone should look him up. Um, and just to our community for being so absolutely incredible and giving back in ways that, you know, have inspired me to make sure that we all give back. Awesome. Jen, thanks a lot for coming to share your story and was the wisdom. I really appreciate it. And from everybody else at the GTA Business Titans podcast, stay awesome, guys. Be a titan. Whatever you do, succeed. Defeat is never an option. Don't quit. And, of course, I'll borrow a line from uh, from Jennifer. Keep your hands up. Yes. <laughs> and remember to always keep them up, especially when you're coming to the gym. <laughs> of course. Cheers, guys. Bye. That's it, people. Another fantastic episode of the GTA Business Titans podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast today and got some great info out of it, don't be stingy. Share with a friend and leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Also, if you need any help with your online marketing needs, feel free to reach out to me at www.odogwu.com. That's www.odogwu.com. Or you can email me on info, I-N-F-O, at odogwu.com. Or you just hit me up on this uh, GTA Business Titles podcast website and I'll be sure to respond to you. We help local businesses get more leads and sales from the internet using tools like Facebook advertising, Instagram ads, landing pages, website creation, online funnels, and so much more. So if you want to turn clicks into customers, there's only one name to call in the GTA and that's Chiodogu at www.odogwu.com. Till next time, guys. Be a titan, be great, make something great happen in your life today. Bye.